everyone. This is Jamie DiPolo. I'm the senior editor here at breastcancer.org. Welcome to the latest edition of our podcast. We're going to be covering some research news stories today. And our guest, as always, for our research news podcast is Dr. Brian Wojciechowski, who is the breastcancer.org medical advisor. Welcome, Dr. Brian. How are you today? I'm very well, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. So we've got um, a couple, well, actually four studies we're going to talk about today. Um, I think they're all very interesting, and they also have some pretty practical applications. The first one was a study that came out um, in November, just toward the end of November, and it was on calcium channel blockers, which are a high blood pressure medicine. And the researchers found that these medicines do not increase breast cancer risk. And I'm going to let you explain, Brian, um, what happened, why there was a, a study that came out in August of 2013 last year that said that calcium channel blockers did increase breast cancer risk. So apparently it seems like these researchers wanted to, to duplicate that or figure out what was going on. Yeah, this was a bigger and more reliable study than the prior study that you were talking about. And, you know, there's always confounding factors when you're looking at, you know, association kind of studies like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if you look at one group of women who are on the blood pressure medicine versus the other group who are not on the blood pressure medicine, you know, they might find that the women on the blood pressure medicine have a higher risk of breast cancer. But, you know, women who have high blood pressure are probably more likely to be overweight or diabetic, all of which can contribute to breast cancer risk. So you don't know uh, what's contributing there, and it, it, and it might skew your results. It might make you think that there's an increased risk from the drug when the increased risk is actually from other factors. Okay. So do we feel, do we feel good about these results? I definitely feel reassured about these results. I okay. mean, there's, there's no... Um, there's no mechanism of action by which I can think of that these drugs should cause an increased breast cancer risk. And, you know, with a bigger study, it's certainly more reassuring and more reliable that, uh, you know, th- that your results are, are, are true and not just coincidence. Okay, so if anybody is a postmenopausal woman who is taking a calcium channel blocker to control high blood pressure, I think... You can feel pretty reassured that that medicine is not going to increase your breast cancer risk. But also keep in mind that, um, as Dr. Brian said, the risk factors for high blood pressure, which include being overweight, not getting enough exercise, smoking, cigarettes, and drinking alcohol, are also all risk factors for breast cancer. So if you're controlling, if you're doing lifestyle changes to help control your high blood pressure, you're probably also helping to keep your risk of breast cancer as low as it can be. So that's always a good thing. And Exercise is good medicine. Yes, absolutely. And our second study, um, that this was very interesting. There is a group called the Society for Integrative Oncology, and that group looks at how to make um, complementary medicine techniques part of the whole healing, uh, the, the whole treatment plan and, and ways to integrate these complementary therapies like acupuncture or yoga or massage in with more traditional Western medicine. And this group looked at, I think it was 
90, more than 90 um, types of um, complementary therapies and issued recommendations on which ones were helpful or the most helpful for people who've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And they actually gave each complementary therapy a letter grade, almost like you would get in school from A to D. And then there was an H and that meant that the therapy wasn't recommended because there was not enough research. And then there was, or no, excuse me, H meant that um, the, ther- the therapy does more harm than good. So you should definitely not do those. And I meant that it was incomplete, that there wasn't enough research. Um, were there any surprises in here for you, Dr. Brian? I know it, it showed that meditation and yoga and relaxation were had the strongest evidence showing that um, they were helpful. Yeah, and I think that's consistent with many of the studies we have reviewed in research news. Okay. Um, I was not surprised to see that soy extracts and soy foods get a grade D. Okay. Uh, there has been some concern about the plant estrogens in soy, although the research has been mixed, but I think it is still wise to avoid those things. Um, you know, and other than that, I think these are good guidelines and provide clinicians with an excellent resource, just looking for other ways to help cancer patients cope with their diagnosis and their side effects. I've seen patients benefit from meditation techniques and acupuncture and yoga. So I try to encourage it for my patients. Not everyone is interested in it, and that's Mm -hmm. fine. Sure. But I do support it uh, with the following caveat. You know, patients tend to get into trouble when they're using complementary and alternative medicine in uh, in place of traditional Western medicine. That I'm not in favor of. I think the two will go well together, but... I don't want to see patients abandoning things like chemotherapy, radiation, hormone therapy for these alternative therapies because I don't think they'll do well. Okay. And it's it's worth noting, I think, too, that most of these complementary therapies, um, what they are used for, as, as you said, are for side effects or anxiety and stress um, to uh, help somebody feel better about themselves, to manage their stress, to control fatigue, maybe help them sleep better, give them better quality of life, um, control pain, nausea, vomiting, and neuropathy, excuse me. And even some of them have been shown to help a little bit uh, with hot flashes. So none of them um, are really shown like, oh, this is going to kill cancer cells. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay, that's good to know. And yeah, and we do get um, quite a few visitors to our site that tell us that they've been helped quite a bit by complementary therapies, especially yoga and meditation. Those, I would have to say, are the two biggest ones that people talk about. And Mm -hmm. so if you are interested, if you're experiencing some uh, treatment-related side effects or if you're having stress or anxiety because of a breast cancer diagnosis, this may be something that you want to check out. Um, But definitely always talk to your doctor to tell your doctor that you're considering these therapies uh, so he or she knows what just what's going on. I mean, it's just like any vitamins you would take or anything else that you take. You do need to keep your doctor informed about what you're doing so he or she has the whole picture of your treatment. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> well, thank you. 
So our third study, um, this is also, we've talked about this before, but the, the evidence just keeps coming in that more women in the United States are choosing mastectomy over lumpectomy as surgery to remove early stage breast cancer. And doctors aren't sure exactly why this is happening, but um, there seem to be some ideas. Have you seen this in, in your practice, Dr. Brian? I have. And this, this is despite the evidence that is very strong, high-level evidence, that lumpectomy and radiation is just as good, if not better, than mastectomy for early stage cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have, do the women in your practice, do they talk to you about why they're making that decision? Do you, I mean, do you have any insights as to maybe why this trend is increasing? I think there's a psychological effect where if the breast is removed, you know, the breast is gone, mm-hmm. women feel more reassured by that than if they're keeping the breast that had cancer in it. Okay. I think that's the most common reason. Also, you'll notice that younger women tend to opt for mastectomy uh, more more often than older women. Okay. I guess thinking that you know they're going to be alive a lot longer with the breast, and they would rather just have it out of sight, out of mind. Okay. Now, do you think? Um... Reconstruction choices um, play a role in that at all? I think so. I think uh, without good reconstructive options, um, more women would probably choose lumpectomy. Okay. Because I didn't know if, you know, if a woman decided, um, you know, she was going to have reconstruction and maybe she thought she could achieve better reconstructive results if she had a mastectomy versus a lumpectomy. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure that is the biggest factor that goes into it. Okay. I think it's just that, uh, you know, the whole out of sight, out of mind thing. Okay. But, uh, you know, we always have to remember that whether the whether the breast is there or not, you know, if breast cancer comes back, it, it doesn't always come back in the breast. Sometimes it comes in the bone or the liver or the lungs or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So even with a mastectomy, that's no, that, that is not 100% guarantee. Okay. And certainly the type of surgery that anyone has is a very personal choice, and there's really no right or wrong answer. It's whatever is right for you and your unique situation. But we do at breastcancer.org encourage everyone to talk to your doctor about all your treatment options, just so you have all the information in front of you and can make the most informed decision. Um, you know, it's good to keep in mind that that mastectomy and, and double mastectomy are bigger surgeries than lumpectomy, so it's a longer recovery time. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, if if you're if you think that you're going to get greater peace of mind from one surgery over another, then maybe that is the best choice for you. But it's just interesting that this trend keeps continuing because I know we did, uh, we talked about a story like this, I think about a year or a year and a half ago. So yes. the trend just, um, it keeps growing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, yeah. And we probably do more mastectomies than we really have to. Okay. So. Okay. Um, and then our last story we're going to talk about today Um there's a new experimental target therapy called Oliparib, and some research suggests that it could 
help treat people who've been diagnosed with advanced stage cancer. And that's there's several types of advanced stage cancer. It would be breast, ovarian, pancreatic, or prostate. Um, if, if that cancer is because the person has an abnormal BRCA gene, um, then this targeted therapy, Olaparib, may help. And so, uh, Dr. Brian, if you could just explain a little bit what Olaparib is and how it works and, and why it seems to be so helpful for people with this abnormal gene. So when someone has an abnormal BRCA1 or 2 gene, uh, that means that they're not very good at fixing DNA damage because that's what the BRCA1 and 2 functions as normally to repair DNA damage. Uh, so this drug, Olaparib or Olaparib, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Oops, I've probably been pronouncing it wrong my whole life, and I didn't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I just kind of say it however it, you know. <laughs> I, these, these drugs are very difficult, and I just, just try to say whatever rolls off the tongue easier. <laughs> right, uh-huh. and, and this is just the chemical name, too. If it does become, if it does get on the market, it will probably have a brand name that will be completely different, so... That's exactly right. Okay. So, but go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so the so the part it's a PARP inhibitor, and PARP is an enzyme involved in DNA damage repair. And we believe that by inhibiting this enzyme, it makes it less likely that those cancer cells could survive because of the damage to DNA. Now, the PARP inhibitor story goes way back. A couple of years ago, there was a lot of excitement about a PARP inhibitor. Uh, study that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is the big medical journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in phase two. And, you know, as you know, phase two is sort of a preliminary type of study. Mm-hmm. When it went to phase three, it didn't pan out. So that was a big disappointment for all of us. Mm. So, you know, we've kind of been burned on this one in the past. And this is this study is still a phase two study. So, It's considered to be preliminary, and we won't really have a good final answer until they complete a phase three study. But, you know, hopefully the the drug has finally found its niche. It's an exciting drug because it's a pill. It's not like an IV chemotherapy. Okay. So, uh, you know, convenience for the patient is going to be a big thing. I and all of us in the cancer community are very hopeful that this drug pans out. Uh, and will be useful for our patients because if I think it did, it'll be a major game changer. Okay, and especially too, um, it seems like because it is aimed at treating advanced stage cancer, um, we have comparatively fewer treatments for advanced stage than we do for early stage. Is that a fair statement? Um, or I should I would... say, I shouldn't say not fewer, but fewer new ones. It seems like there are fewer new treatments being found for advanced stage disease. Well, you know, lately we've had some interesting developments with HER2-positive disease with the introduction of uh, Pergetta or Pertuzumab, which is being used in early and advanced stage. Okay. Uh, You know, usually these drugs are first developed in advanced stage disease. Okay. uh, Before they can go on, you know, they have to be proven in advanced stage before they can go on to early stage. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm completely wrong. I take it back. (laughs) Well, you know, so th- there's a lot of new uh, new drugs uh, in the pipeline. Um, you know, we, we haven't had a whole lot of 
big developments in uh, in early stage recently, but uh, you know all these drugs have to prove themselves in late stage first. Okay. And then they move on to early stage. And you, as you mentioned, this study that we're talking about was a phase two study. Do you think that the results were promising enough that this will go on to a phase three trial for Olaparb? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Have you heard anything about when that might start or is that still, uh, is it still too premature? Not specifically. I haven't heard anything specifically, but hopefully we'll find out something at San Antonio this year. Okay. Yep. That starts next week. And uh, I'll just give everyone a little teaser. Make sure you keep listening and keep uh, checking out our website because we're going to be doing some podcasting about things presented at San Antonio next week. So we'll, we will strive to get you information as soon as we have it. So thank you so much, Dr. Brian. Those are our four studies for today. Thanks everybody for listening. And um, as I said, make sure you tune in or check out our website next week, which would be the week of December 9th. Um, We will be broadcasting about San Antonio. So again, thank you, Dr. Wojciechowski. Have a good week. You too.